is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and Happy New Year to everyone. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, and this is our new hour for Simply Real Estate here at 3 p.m. on every Saturday. So, folks, um, I just want to do a quick introduction before we get down to business. Uh, heck of a start to the new year. And lots to talk about today. I've got some great guests that are going to join us. But for those of you that have never tuned into the show, because we are normally at 4 p.m. on Saturdays, I just want to give you a brief introduction to what you can expect over the next 12 months here at Simply Real Estate and what we've been doing for the last few years. So I am your host, Todd C. Slater. And to give you an idea, I have been in the real estate industry in one form or another for the last 30 years as a contractor, one of the world's top realtors with the Remax industry, and on top of that as the simple investor. And with the experience that I've been able to gain, fortunately, um, I've been able to work with so many professionals and people in the real estate industry. Um, and it's just allowed me to be able to talk more and more about it. And fortunately, for myself and working with News Talk 1010, we've been able to do this show for the last few years. And and I have to thank all of our listeners. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to keep you up to date on market trends, what's going on in the market, bringing all the officials to light, uh, letting them discuss what's going on in the marketplaces. What can we expect for interest rates this year? Also, uh, is the market going to continue? Also, another section, and we've been discussing it here at Simply Real Estate, we're going to try to start talking to all the mayors in the GTA and get their perspective on real estate in their actual towns themselves. So, lots going on. Also, here at Simply Real Estate, one of the things that we like to do is every once in a while, you'll hear that we have a call-in show and we want to get your opinions or your questions answered. You can also go to thesimpleinvestor.com and if you want to ask any questions, you can go to info at thesimpleinvestor.com and ask any questions that you'd like. I like to air them and if not, happy to chat with you. Now, as I'd mentioned a little bit about my experience, uh, we also uh, have a company called The Simple Investor and you'll hear a lot of our ads here on News Talk 1010. We've been partnered with News Talk 1010 for years now. And uh, one of the things that we try to focus on, of course, is investment real estate, which by the way, in 2016 was a very, very stable marketplace to be in. And even if the market changes up in 2017, I believe that investment real estate will continue to be the best, best investment that you can have for you, your family, creating generational wealth. And we'll be talking a lot about that over the next 12 months. Also, we have Simple Seminars coming up uh, in the new year. And uh, so if you want, go to simpleinvestor.com to register for our new Simple Seminar coming up over the next few weeks. And when we do have one, people can come out and they can learn about investment real estate. And of course, leave your credit card at home. There's nothing to buy. Uh, what we do is we just simply want to give people more of an education, a better understanding. And one of the reasons why I am very proud to be the host of Simply Real Estate is because I'm hoping to educate people a little bit more about what the real market is doing. In fact, with all the headlines through 2016, you know, I found that a lot of people were having a tough time deciphering exactly what the market was doing, other than people screaming from the rafters that you can't find anything to buy, everything is going in multiple offers, but yet 
the staggering number that came out this week was 113,000 transactions that were put through the TREB board. So if we take a look at that number of transactions in the GTA area, that's a lot. So I'm going to have uh, have a guest on shortly to break that down. It is, uh, and he is, sorry, uh, the Director of marketing, Market Analysis for the Toronto Real Estate Board. It will be Jason Mercer. He will be joining me uh, a little bit later. And we're going to be break down the numbers of what Treb uh, has reported recently. Let's get an idea of where the numbers truly are and what if we can make sense of them coming into the uh, 2017 marketplace. Are we going to see the same numbers? And a little bit later on in the hour, one of my favorite guests to have is Romana King, and she is senior editor for Money Sense magazine. Folks, if you want to uh, go go online to moneysense.ca, uh, Romana's articles are excellent read, but more importantly, great perspective on the market, and she's also now uh, in the Vancouver marketplace, uh, living out there with her family, and being able to break down exactly what the numbers look like at the end of 2016. Uh, in fact, Vancouver was leading the market right up until June for the last several years. In fact, the world economy said that Vancouver was probably one of the hottest real estate markets in the world. And yet now when the numbers come through, they've had a huge decline in just the sheer volume of numbers. Let's find out the real reason. Was it the fact that they put in the foreign buyer tax? We already knew the number was going down, but I'm going to talk to Romana about that because that is really important. And what about BC throwing in something in you know, when they when I first heard about it, I thought to myself, hey, that's not a bad idea. And then I started looking at the fine print and realized, you know, BC's idea of putting in an interest-free home loan, meaning they're going to top up the percentage. Uh, now that first-time homebuyers have to come up with 10%, they have a avenue for people to get 5% of it and you come up with 5% for an interest-free loan out in BC. Is this a smart idea? Um, I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, I do not believe so. I don't think that they're actually attacking the problem. But I'm going to let Romano weigh into that one because I, I have to tell you, I think uh, they're shooting themselves in the foot out in BC. And as usual, I hope that Kathleen Wynn has tuned in this week because I know I am probably her favorite real estate person. And hopefully she is listening to me because uh, that is not something that Ontario should even consider. It will create more problems. And one of the things that we do know that people can use is their RRSPs. And that is actually something that is a little bit more tangible than just having the province write a check for 5% of a down payment. So lots coming up for, uh, for this hour. And by the way, Just so you know, we are going to extend into our old hour. So not only are we doing one hour of Simply Real Estate this week, we are actually doing two. So the old hour that we had, 4 o'clock, I'm going to be staying on and we're going to be talking with more guests in that hour. In fact, out of Mississauga... I have Councillor Jim Tovey, and he's going to be joining me. We're going to be talking about the new acquisition by the city of Mississauga with that land that was sitting down by the lake. For those of you that are aware of it, it's the old Texco uh, area where they used to have the old tankers. And uh, being an original uh, person from Mississauga, I remember as a kid seeing it there. Well, that land's been sitting vacant for the last 30 years, and I guess finally somebody's decided to do something with it, and we are going 
going to talk about what Mississauga plans on doing with that property. And of course, Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage, always a great person to chat with. We're going to get Dave's take on interest rates. We hear that the U.S. is pushing hard with the idea that they're going to start increasing their prime a little bit more aggressively because of Mr. Trump. Well, let's see what he thinks about Bank of Canada, what they plan on doing here. Again, uh, lots to talk about. But, you know, in the news, headlines, they just, it's amazing. Coming into the studio today, uh, you know, I, I always like chatting with some of my, um, some of the co-hosts here and some of the people, you know, I, and one of the things that I always seem to walk by is that when I walk by an office, it seems like everybody is talking about real estate. You know, this week I was on with Barb DiGiulio and she was in for Jim Richards and we were talking about, uh, you know, first-time homebuyers and how the frustration for so many people at this point, you know, that they can't seem to buy something, they seem to be priced out of the market. And when Barb and I were talking about it, uh, one of the conversations I had with her was the fact that, listen, there's lots of stuff that's still affordable, but not everybody wants it. And what I mean by that, by not wanting it, is that... Perhaps it's a little bit old, it's a little bit tired, it, it needs some work. And at this point, one of the best advice I can give anyone is sweat equity. If you're going to buy real estate, it's actually better to buy something that needs work than it is to buy the finished product. And the reason why is that they're not getting the peak price. So when we look at condominiums, so let's say a high-rise building, or we look at townhomes, there are older properties out there, and yes, I agree, the maintenance fees are a little bit higher, but when you look at the price difference, when, when the actual price difference is two or $300,000 difference, and on top of that, you get more square footage in the older property, I'm going to encourage anybody that's out there looking, you know, spread out your options. Take a look at, uh, open up the perspective of what you're looking for. Because right now, you know, a thousand square foot condo, you know, in the outer part of the Toronto area, when you can buy something for 250, 300,000 and you get a thousand square feet, that's a lot better than paying 600 uh, a square foot for some of the new stuff. So again, keep that in mind. Uh, you know, we want to keep everybody open-minded. As I said to all my new listeners, welcome to my new hour. Uh, and we are going to try to keep you up to date on what's going on in in the marketplace, and one of the headlines that uh, that we are going to talk over in the next couple of weeks is the fact that people keep blaming the green belt for Toronto's house pricing. And what they say is that the green belt has stopped builders from being able to build. And there's a lot of analysis out there that is saying, well, there's a contradiction to this, that it's not the green belt and that people should just realize the market's heated up the way it is for many reasons. One is new immigration. And when we take a look at the fact that more than 100,000 people landed into the GTA market in the 2016, uh, you have to think about how many of those people actually bought. Remember, year over year from last year, we were up 13,000 transactions. And if we take a look at the fact that perhaps 5,000 or let's say 6,000 of the new immigrants bought, did our market really go up as much as we think? Again, false headlines, just like just before Christmas, I heard that final one. And I got to tell you, I, I, we, we, we need to look, put things into perspective. 
when you see a house list for sale for $6.99, when the next door neighbor actually sold for $1,050,000, then it turns around and sells for $1.1, and everybody's screaming that it sold $400,000 over asking, I would call foul. And you know what? I don't want to hear that kind of stuff this year. I think what we need to do is settle down the market ourselves, realize that that house only went... 50000 over the next door neighbor, which was a comparable home. And in reality, the market is not going at 400000 over asking prices. Anyways, that's my quick blurb for that. And when we come back after this, I'm going to be joined by Jason Mercer. So stay with me. I'll be right back with Simply Real Estate here on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before we went to break, um, you know, the numbers uh, were out this week were staggering. And, you know, it's nice to see that obviously, you know, we've seen an increase in the Toronto Real Estate Board uh, as far as the number of sales. And, you know, what? instead of me talking about it, I'd rather just reach out to Trebs, uh, expert in that, uh, Director of Marketing Analysis, and that's Mr. Jason Mercer. And Jason, welcome to Simply Real Estate. Thanks very much for having me. Um, so, Jason, you know, this week, um, uh, you know, incredible numbers obviously released by uh, Trebs showing that we've had an increase. Maybe you can give us a bit of a breakdown on uh, on what uh, 2016 looked like. Sure. So the, the, the broad strokes, we saw a second consecutive record year for home sales reported through Trebs MLS system. So a shade over 113,000 deals. Um, reported this year, um, and that was up from, from about 101,000 transactions uh, in, in, in 2015. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the average home buyer, I mean, they're taking advantage of, of low borrowing costs, but also uh, we've seen relatively strong local economic conditions as well, where the average income has gone up uh, more than the rate of inflation. And so you certainly see um, households confident in their ability to purchase and pay for a home over the long term. But where there's been a bit of an issue, and, and and this is sort of a continuation from what we saw in, in 2015, is that the, the number of homes available for sale has actually trended lower. And so these, these home buyers or would-be home buyers are experiencing a lot of competition. And so the end result has been very strong upward pressure um, in, 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 in pricing, especially on the low-rise side of the market, so singles, semis, and townhomes. Well, you know, that's an interesting point, Jason. So when, when, when I was looking at the report uh, released by Treb, you know, it showed that year over year, pretty much uh, inventory dropped by 4%. Yeah. Um, in the month of December, it was actually even further. It was down by 8.6%. Right. But yet we, uh, you know, we saw a record uh, number of sales in December as opposed to December 15. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, uh, being in real estate for so many years, one of the things I always have watched out for uh, has always been the cycle of real estate. And, you know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, as, as a realtor, we could always watch the marketplace and we would say, you know, we've got our spring market. So we had this huge surge up and then we'd watch it kind of flatten through the summer, a little bit of that, you know, surge up in the fall and then flatten through, you know, the wintertime. Um, for the last two years, though, if you take a look at the numbers that Treb has reported, there really has been no ease. It's just, you know, year over year, increased number, increased numbers. It, it, it's been uh, very uncharacteristic of what we've seen for the last 15 years. Yeah, I think one of the issues or, or, or sort of the key issue there is that um, in a perfectly functioning market, you would have seen, you know, seller's market conditions that we've seen over the last couple of years, and that would have prompted 
um, you know, households to, to list their home for sale to take advantage of the, the equity gains um, as a result of, uh, of market increases. But the issue is, is that we haven't seen that. And, and, and part of the reason is that, um, you know, we haven't been building as much, you know, low-rise housing in the, in the greater Toronto area over the last decade. Yet that's what a lot of households are still uh, pointed at, despite the, 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 the higher home prices. And so, if you have people that already own a home in an established neighborhood, like consider a scenario where, say, someone bought their first ground-oriented home, say a semi-detached home in, a, in an established neighborhood, and they're saying, well, we want a little bit more space. You want to move up uh, in the market, maybe buy a single. But then they're looking around and saying, wow, like we could sell our, our semi really easily, but it's going to be pretty hard to find a single that meets our needs and stay in the same neighborhood. Maybe we ought to renovate instead. And so then you get this sort of vicious circle where even more listings are are, are are not really coming off the market, but never getting to the market in the first place. Um, and you see that supply trend even lower. Right. And now when we take a look at prices, because now, now we know roughly volume, you know, volume was, uh, sure. was tighter this past in 2016. And, and, and we started seeing that in 2015. And hence the reason why I think we saw the multiple offers, because, you know, again, nice homes come on the market, more people are out there looking and people are jumping on it. But when we took a look at the big price surge, um, you know, is it, would you just equate it to the fact that we are, you know, short in supply or is it the fact that, you know, um, you know, a lot of times, and, and we've had this discussion with a, a lot of different people uh, here at Simply Real Estate, but, you know, Toronto and, and the greater Toronto area is actually becoming more of a world-class market to a certain point where, you know, our values can be substantiated in some ways, because if you compare us to places like uh, New York, San Francisco, Boston, uh, Tokyo, I mean, we are still undervalued in comparison to some of those world markets. Right. I mean, if and you look at the uh, the city of Toronto and the surrounding regions, and 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 I mean, uh, in terms of, of of population growth and the number of households that we see, um, you know, from 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 year to year on net. That's all based on immigration, on, on people moving to Canada from, from, from other parts of the world. And so certainly because that's sort of been the nature of the population growth in the greater Toronto area, it's been a, a virtuous circle, if you will, because you, you have these sort of established ethnic and, 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 and social networks that have built up in, in, in the city and surrounding regions, and that serves to attract more newcomers from around the world. So I think it's true um, that the, uh, the, 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 the greater Toronto area certainly has a, a, has a good reputation um, around the world, say, as a place to do business, as a place to live. And, and obviously, then that benefits the housing market as people move here and, and look to purchase a home. So if we're looking at a general forecast for 2017, um, you know, not to put you on the spot, but, you know, Treb, Treb's been very accurate. Um, you know, they pretty much, you know, nailed 2016 out of the gate in, in the very beginning. What do you... Uh, what do you forecast 2017 to look like? I mean, you know, we think that perhaps sales volume will come down again, but um, are we going to see sustained prices or are we going to see things stabilize? So we'll be releasing our official uh, uh, forecast on, on January 31st, our, our sort of second um, annual year in review and, and outlook report. But certainly, I mean, even if we saw, you know, some of the, the changes to mortgage lending guidelines sort of feed through and, and we saw some households, say, either move to the sidelines or change the type or location of the home they're looking to, to purchase, even if we saw, you know, fewer sales in 2017 as, composed, as compared to 2016, 
those buyers would still be up against, you know, an extremely short supply of listings. Like, for example, at the end of December, that was the, the lowest number of active listings at the end of December that we've seen in a, in a decade and a half. And so you're, you're still going to see very tight market conditions. And I'd argue that in some segments of the market, in some communities in the, in, in the GTA, you could continue to see, you know, very strong rates of price growth, especially again for those, those low rise home types. But, I guess the final thing I'll say, too, is, is, is don't forget about the condo market as well, because we still do see a lot of first-time buyers active in the in the market today. And, you know, a couple of years ago, there was concerns that there, there'd be too much supply in the condominium apartment market. But today, when you look at it, we've actually seen accelerating price growth throughout uh, 2016. And so I think that first-time buyer activity will certainly bode well for, for condo sales as we move through this year as well. Excellent. Well, listen, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time today and talking with us. We greatly appreciate your insight and, uh, you know, keep up the great work at Treb. You're very welcome. Talk soon. Excellent. Thank you so much, folks. That was Jason Mercer. He's Director of Marketing Analysis for the Toronto Real Estate Board. And uh, you know what? We'll see. Uh, 2017 is just off to a start and we'll see what will happen. So when I come back, I'm going to be joined by Ramana King and we're going to be talking about all sorts of things in the market. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. Well, again, I just want to thank Jason Mercer for joining us, uh, Director of Market Analysis for TREB. And again, interesting numbers. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on it. And uh, maybe about midway, we'll uh, ask uh, Mr. Mercer to come back and join us and find out if uh, TREB's projections are going to be up to date. But I've got to tell you, my uh, my next guest, uh, you know, uh, definitely a, a person that I love to rely on and have a great chat about real estate is Ramana King, and she is senior editor at uh, Money Sense Magazine. And Happy New Year, Ramana. Happy New Year, Todd. So, um, you know, I, I for just so you know, um, we are, uh, this is our new time slot, 3 o'clock here on Saturdays. We used to, uh, we used to be at 4, now we're at 3. And um, so for our listeners, um, you know, I, I want them to know that uh, first and foremost, uh, folks, Ramana is definitely a real estate expert. She is a senior editor with Money Sense Magazine. And if you want to get some of her latest articles, go to moneysense.ca. Uh, Ramana, I will always uh, encourage people to read your articles. I, I use them as my cheat sheets sometimes, and I think they're wonderful. And, uh, you know, it's always great to have you as a guest here on Simply Real Estate. And you and I have so much to talk about, uh, not just about Canadian real estate, Toronto real estate, but definitely Vancouver real estate, which has made so many headlines uh, over the last 18 to 24 months. And some good, some bad. And uh, I don't know, what, what, what do you feel like picking on first? Well, and I think I think the Vancouver real estate. I think everyone wanted to wait till the end of the year to see how it really played out and whether or not the predictions and the assertions that you know it's starting to turn are actually accurate. And I think it is. I think it is accurate. I think for reasons that we didn't quite anticipate, um, prices are so high that you'd assume people are flocking to the market to try and get rid of their properties to get the most uh, money. But the reality is the tale of both Vancouver and Toronto, actually, the GTA and, and the greater Vancouver area is lack of supply. And I think that's what we're seeing still in the Vancouver market is just there is not enough to meet demand. 
right? And so interestingly enough, though, and, and you and I had a lot of these conversations, and, and, and we'll touch about the foreign buyer tax, but more importantly, you know, the, the, the numbers that are showing that the Vancouver market is down is not necessarily just a price you know, uh, decline. It's more the volume decline. And as you said, inventory is an issue. Uh, year over year, though, the Vancouver and BC market um, still, you know, if you took 2015 as an average to 2016, still some staggering numbers, weren't there? Yeah, I mean, they recorded, I think Metro Vancouver recorded its third highest selling year on record, which was 2016, which was last year. And it's behind only 2015 and 20, 2005. So, you know, in the last decade plus, 2016 is one of the top years for, for sales records. So, I mean, yes, we're seeing declines, but really the declines aren't even touching the appreciation that has occurred in the last decade. I think we, I was talking to Gregory Klump of uh, the Canadian Real Estate Association, and he mentioned that even with a 10% decline, you're only getting down to March 2016 sales numbers. So you really haven't gone down all that much. And I think a lot of the, the, the story that real estate agents are seeing in Vancouver area, because people are getting worried, they're seeing declines and they're saying, oh my gosh, you know, I'm losing value in my house. And they're trying to put it in context and saying, you know, yeah, you might be seeing declines, but we've risen so much in the last decade that there really is a lot of movement there. You can still go quite a bit down and still not lose all that much in equity. Well, you know, that's an interesting point. So when you when when you quantified, if somebody's got a you know a house that's sitting at a million dollars, it goes up twenty percent, so it's one point two, but then it comes back to one point one within the same year. It, they still had a hundred thousand dollar increase in yeah. in equity. You know, a ten percent increase. Now Vancouver. Numbers were actually higher than that. Um, you know, at one point they were they were up around thirty two percent. If you remember, you and I were chatting in the spring, and they were just going ballistic. And then now, of course, they 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 they've settled down. And even if somebody had a one point two million dollar house that did go up twenty percent, you know, they've still gained two hundred forty thousand dollars, which is still an astronomical number. You know, they said, well, but I've lost a hundred thousand. Yeah, but it wasn't a quantifiable hundred thousand unless you sold the house. And that's the problem with with our brains and money is that we are more attuned to the losses, even though it's not a real loss. We didn't sell and actually lose that money, but we're more attuned to those losses than actually seeing the gains. You know, if I bought the house for one million and it, it you know rose twenty percent, but I lost ten percent, we're only thinking about that lost ten percent. We're not thinking about the fact that it has appreciated and it's appreciated astronomically in the last few years. I think in 2016, they had one of the strongest years. The losses that we're seeing are, are the second half of 2016. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that there was a foreign buyer's tax that came in. And there was a slowdown in the market that was in response to international factors. Well, you know, one of the things I, I, I was going to ask you, though, is that, okay, so here we are, we're at the beginning of 2017. Um, you know, right now, inventory is down, and, a lot, you know, some people are showing some concerns. They say right now, foreign buyers make up probably about 3% now of Vancouver transactions. So I think I think the first initial jerk reaction is that it scared a bunch of people off, and now we're only looking, let's say, 3 to 5% all transactions now in Vancouver are from a foreign buyer. So those are the people that are willing to absorb that new foreign buyer tax and still see the value. Now, do you see over the next three to six months of the market still continuing to trend down or does it just hit stability? So you won't hear a market increase, but yet you'll just hear a stable number. Where, Where will your market go? 
Well, uh, th- and that's the big question because everyone in- anticipates, you know, now the foreign buyers are out, you've removed a certain component. Have we reached uh, equilibrium and is it going to go down even further? And I, I think that right now there is equilibrium, it's still a seller's market skewed towards the seller, but it has hit closer to equilibrium only because there's still a lot of pent-up demand and not enough supply. So as soon as that equation changes, it could be uh, an increase in mortgage rates, which, you know, knocks additional buyers out of the market, reduces the demand even more, and then that'll pull prices down, pulling it closer to a balanced market. We're going. There's still room for movement there, and it, the movement is going to come only because of other factors in the market, whether rates rise, um, whether there's additional incentives. I mean, BC said, you know, we'll we'll do a five percent matching loan, up to five percent of the house price matching loan for first-time buyers. That's an incentive to get into the market. If there are additional incentives, there's going to be increased demand. There could be additional disincentives interest rates go up, mortgage rates go up, that knocks people out of the, the uh, housing market. Or we could see tighter mortgage regulations. We could see the banks have even, a, you know, more costs associated with writing mortgages. You know, they have right. to actually take a look at defaulted defaulted uh, mortgages and actually bear the brunt of that, bears on that burden. That'll increase their costs, and they'll pass out those costs on to the buyers. And those buyers will, you know, some of them will be knocked out of the market. It'll be too expensive for them to actually buy a home. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know what? Um, I, I I know after uh, the next break, I'm going to have you talk more about this BC incentive because you mm-hmm. know I, I want to caution Kathleen Wynn out here not to do it. Um, but um, you know, when when you talk about a balanced market, um, you know, a lot of people I don't think quite understand what a balanced market means. Can you give us just a quick synopsis of what you would determine as a balanced market? Yeah, a balanced market is when. Demand and supply are fairly equal. Um, and typically, you know, the real estate measures that based on the months of inventory or how, how long it would take to sell current sales inventory based on current market, market conditions. Typically, if you've got about five to six months worth of inventory, you're in a balanced market. It means demand and supply are fairly equal and you've got, you know, you know bidding wars aren't running prices up. You've got fairly standard 30 days on the market. That's a balanced market. For the most part, the Greater Toronto Area is not in a balanced market. It's strongly in the seller's market category. So I think the numbers out of uh, TREB, uh, Toronto Real Estate Board, show that they had 36 days of supply in most places in the Metro Toronto and the Greater Toronto Area. That's well entrenched in seller's market. It means that the sellers have the advantage in those markets. Yeah, and when we took a look at, um, we were we were just talking to Jason Mercer, and he's the director of market analysis for Trib. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we did realize was the fact that um, come uh, December, it was uh, there was an, uh, about an eight point six percent decline in actual inventory. So mm-hmm. it was sub thirty days, and so this is why you know again another record number of sales in 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 Toronto uh, for the month of December. So you know it. it it's very interesting on what the market is doing, and, and I want to talk a little bit more with you uh, when we come back right after the break. So uh, if you don't mind, stay with us, and we've got lots to talk about. So uh, folks, um, joining me is Ramada King, and she is a senior editor at Money Sense. And make sure you go to moneysense.ca so you can read her articles. And when we come back, I'm going to have more with her, and we're going to be talking about some of the BC incentives and what is going on in the Toronto marketplace and what we can expect for 2017. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. 
of Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. If you're just tuning into our show, you have tuned into Simply Real Estate. Now, I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, and we are in our new time slot, Saturdays at 3. Um, by the way, uh, we are going to continue on through the 4 o'clock hour. We are a two-hour segment today, and uh, I'm very, very excited for the first show of 2017. Uh, my guest uh, right now is Romana King. She was joining me just before the break. She is senior editor of Money Sense magazine. Go to moneysense.ca and you'll be able to uh, read some of Romana's articles. She is definitely a real estate expert. And Romana, just before the break, you and I were talking about obviously the market out in Vancouver, what uh, what you're seeing, some adjustments and all sorts of things. I mean, 2017 is right now, I think there's a bigger question mark on 2017 than we saw when we first talked in 2016. Yeah, I mean, if one thing has taught us in the last decade is it's really hard to predict what's going to go on with real estate because there's so many factors. But there are a lot of question marks, and I think people are far more uncertain starting 2017 than they were in 2016. You know, one of, one of the question marks, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to call him the Riddler, but Mr. Trump, uh, you know, you and I talked uh, after he was, uh, you know, after he won the election and, you know, will it bring some concern to the a Canadian economy, but more importantly, the Canadian real estate economy. And one of the things that we're hearing, you know, south of the border right now is the fact that they may be trying to push interest rates a little bit quicker. Do you uh, do you see the Bank of Canada following suit? I mean, you know, we've, we've been listening to them and, you know, Stephen Pelosi had said that, no, you know what, uh, he thinks that we're going to sit on the fence for most of uh, 2017. Do you, do you see that happening? I don't. I think the, the Bank of Canada and, and I think they're supported by the federal government right now, they're really committed to um, following their own monetary policy, their own economic policy, and, and that really is to keep inflation at around 2%. So unless our economy starts to really feel the impact of rising U.S. interest rates and they have to make a move because inflation is starting to rise, they're really not going to do anything. And we've got a slow-growing economy right now. So uh, I think that 2017 probably won't see an uptick in, in interest rates and mortgage rates all that much. Um, but as soon as our economy, and we've said this in 2016, assuming that the economy is going to be a bit more stable and, and grow a little bit more than its anemic pace, but as soon as the, uh, the, the economy starts to grow, we're going to see an uh, increase in inflation, and that's when the Bank of Canada is going to come in and change that overnight rate. Yeah, you know, one of the things, though, is that now that uh, now that the Vancouver market, and I won't call it stalling, but I think it's it's going to maybe see a little bit more of a stabilization that means that we've only got real one, you know, mountainous marketplace, and that's the GTA market. You know, Toronto, uh, again, incredible 2016, as, as did Vancouver. But now that, um, now that we're rolling into it, we can look at the fact that, you know, maybe the GTA still has a little bit of steam left into it. But, you know, so much of our economy has been tied into real estate over the last few years. You know, it's one of the strengths. If we start to see it stabilize, does this mean that, you know, if we flatline the economy a little, I mean, one of the things I think that we're going to see is an uptick in renovations. A lot of people mm-hmm. are looking at the fact that, hey, listen, you know what? Yeah, my value's up. I can probably get a home line of credit and we can probably do a little bit of renovation instead of moving. So <clears throat> that's going to be good for both employment and the building industry. But yet, again, the biggest asset that can most Canadians own at this point is not going to be exchanging hands as much. So do you think that will have a little bit of an adverse effect on the overall economy? 
Um, this is this raises the interesting point is that it's not just the buying and selling of real estate, but it's all the transactions associated with real estate that impact the the Canadian economy. So if we see you know a reduction in say building, it's not an immediate cause and effect. A reduction in building assumes that you know we're going to have a weakened economy because we don't have as much going into the economy. No, because that money shifts. We still have this asset, and we still need to understand what to do with that asset to make it the most have the most value. And in times past, we have seen that when people are a bit reluctant to do sort of the transactional purchase, which is, you know, sell and move on to the next house, they're more willing to put money back into their home. So it still keeps jobs going. It still keeps wages out there. It still keeps the economy moving, maybe not as rapidly, but it certainly does have a positive impact. I think the danger is when you start to see people, um, you know, mass layoffs in other areas like the oil and gas industry. When you start to see mass layoffs in other areas, then that's disposable income that's actually removed from all areas of housing, all areas of spending, and that's a problem. So I think, you know, just as in 2016, I talked to a number of uh, experts, and they said, you know, barring any major catastrophic situation, like oil price dropping significantly, we're going to be okay. Um, Oil price did drop significantly. Alberta was hit, you know, fairly hard. They managed to weather the storm okay and be okay, but... uh, we don't know what's going to happen in 2017, and we do know that uh, the housing market is directly impacted by the economy, and it directly impacts the economy. Yeah, and and you know that's 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 the thing in in the real estate economy in Canada. There's such a fluctuation throughout the provinces. You know, you and I can sit there and we can read all the stats we want, but when you see that there, you know, prices are down in certain provinces. You know, some almost double digits, but definitely single digits. But then then you see, you know, the crazy markets of the Vancouver and the, and, and the GTA market. I mean, there's such a diversity that, you know, what happens when, let's say, the two biggest economies uh, end up flatlining? Does this, you know, you know, is the potential of the other markets to continue down on a downward trend? Or could those markets actually start to feel a little bit of a rebound? Well, I mean, this is this is where it comes into you know how much how much does Vancouver impact Toronto and and Calgary and and again it goes down to I don't think real estate leads the economy I think it impacts the economy what leads the economy is whether or not there's job growth in across all sectors you know we saw Alberta hit very hard by uh, Alberta and also the the East Coast provinces hit very hard by you know oil prices going down but the rest of Canada was doing just fine even Ontario's manufacturing losses. They, you know, we've seen a really strong housing market in the GTA and the Golden Horseshoe area. So even other areas of the economy that have had bad retractions, they've lost a lot of jobs, we still see other areas growing. If we see, you know, a huge slump in Vancouver or Toronto housing prices, yes, it'll impact the economy. I don't think it's going to impact it in such a, a dramatic way that all other housing markets across Canada are going to drop. Right. Again, it goes back to sort of that local environment. People are going to buy houses if they have money. They're going to have money if they have jobs. You know, if you look at Thunder Bay in Ontario, even, you know, when the collapse, they were doing really well. Why? There were jobs there. Yeah. So they still bought houses, and it still appreciated. It didn't blow the roof off, you know, in terms of price appreciation, uh, but it did well, and it did consistently well, and people have done well there in, in, that, in that city because of that. So, yeah, I think there is a fear that, you know, there's if the bubble bursts, and we're talking about dramatic declines, because that's a lot of money removed from the economy in certain, you know, cities. And as soon as you have money removed from those cities, that's a flight to other cities to find jobs, sure. and then that puts pressure. 
But overall, if there's a huge collapse in Vancouver, it will ripple the economy, but it won't crash the Canadian economy. I really don't think so. I'm not, but I'm not an economist. I, you know, I I didn't do my training as an economist. And I want to make sure I talk to the experts and they say, you know, it will impact, but really it's job losses and job creation. That's what we have to be looking at. And, you know, if, if Vancouver is too skewed on the real estate sector, if, if most of their job growth, if most of their economic growth is in the real estate sector, now is the time to start diversifying. And you can look at Edmonton and Calgary as an example of that. Edmonton, you know, about 10 years ago, really worked actively to diversify their economy away from oil and gas. So it wasn't just on oil and gas. And they weathered the storm really well when the oil prices dipped. Yeah. So speaking of local economies, if we talk about BC, their new interest-free home loan, if uh, Mm -hmm. just a couple of quick comments there. Um, You know, I don't know if a lot of our listeners know uh, what is happening, but um, the BC government is willing to give people a, if I'm not mistaken, a interest-free loan up to 5% of the value of a home. Yes, it's it's money in your pocket if you want to buy a house and you you know want to avoid paying astronomical um, you know mortgage insurance fees. Hey, BC government's going to help you if you're a first time home buyer. There's been a lot of criticism, and rightly so. I mean, you're talking about a very potentially very overinflated market and people scrambling to get in, and now the BC government is giving them more debt in order to get into a bigger house or at least a house. Um, and people are sort of arguing, hey, this is mimicking subprime. You're giving people that shouldn't qualify a chance to qualify for a mortgage. And, I mean, our take at Money Sense was, is it a good strategy? Probably not. No. <laughs> right? I don't think people that are not qualified should be qualifying for mortgages. We saw how dramatic and how um, bad that worked out in the United States. Will it crash the Canadian mortgage system and the Canadian economy? No. There's, you know, maybe 40,000, 50,000 people that will qualify for that, you know, extra loan. It's a drop in the bucket when it comes to mortgages and, and the number of mortgages written. In terms of subprime, it really doesn't push the numbers up. So we won't crash the market. It's still not, just not a smart strategy unless you use it smartly. And, and that's, you know, I, I took the stance of, you know, if you're going to use this money and Hey, some people are going to try and do it in a smart way. Yeah, and and again, when I when I first heard about it, I thought, okay, you know, and then I I, I tried to analyze it and break down the numbers, and I thought to myself, okay, so, you know, letting people get into a, as you said, a, a bit of an inflated market. This is again, you know, from a Toronto perspective, and why I hope that Miss um, Kathleen Wynn is always tuning into Simply Real Estate. I hope, and hears <laughs> us say not to do this in Ontario, because in in a lot of ways, I think that there are opportunities for people to buy. They just have to luck into the outer markets or buy a little bit less. And the idea of this whole affordability, you know, I don't see it being a smart play in Ontario for sure. You know, and again, so far, BC is, uh, you know, allowing us to learn a lot. So Ontario gets to learn from BC and and we'll see how it plays there. We're the the painful first child going out and learning those lessons. Yeah, well, listen, uh, Romana, it has been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. And thanks so much, as usual, for joining us here. And, uh, you know, thanks for everything, and uh, we'll stay in touch to see what's going on with the markets. Absolutely, Todd. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Folks, that was Romana King, and she's senior editor at uh, Money Sense magazine. And make sure you go to moneysense.ca to pick up her latest articles. Always great. So, listen, uh, that wraps up our first hour. And I love saying that, our first hour. Uh, But guess what? When we do the rollover at 4 p.m., we're back. 
and uh, another hour of Simply Real Estate. I got some great guests joining me. And uh, for all of you that have tuned in for the first time, thanks for joining me here at uh, Simply Real Estate. I am your host, Todd Slater, and I want to thank my producer, Ian Grant, as usual. And we'll talk to you, well, in a few minutes. Stay with us. We'll be back. is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back to the show. Uh, you know what? As I said, we've continued into our second hour here of Simply Real Estate, and I am your host, Todd C. Slater. Uh, listen, you know, I don't know for uh, how many of our listeners uh, are either Mississauga residents or like to go out and visit uh, Mississauga, but I can tell you, being born and raised, uh, I'm very proud of the area. It has developed incredibly over the years. And for those of you that have done a little bit of a tour down around Lakeshore, there's always been that uh, big chunk of land just at the bottom of Mississauga Road, right there by the lake. And it used to be considered the Imperial Oil Texaco Refinery Land, and for years and years and years sat vacant. Well, you know, fortunately today, um, my special guest joining me now is Councillor of Ward 1 in Mississauga, Mr. Jim Tovey. And Mr. Tovey, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, and thank you for the interest in our community. Well, you know, I, I have to tell you, I've been a longtime supporter of the area, love it, um, you know, family uh, there and, and growing up there. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it's an interesting take. Uh, reading the article in the Globe and Mail uh, regarding what is happening to that waterfront property, and, you know, it, you've got a big part of it yourself, and maybe you can describe to our listeners, you know, part of the vision and, and why um, it's, you know, why builders aren't going to be just stepping in and throwing up high rises. I mean, you know, that's been the, the kind of the MO in the Toronto area. You know, it seems like if you have waterfront, you need to be 50 or 80 stories. And I think that uh, Mississauga, yourself as a councillor, you know, you're taking a different uh, approach. And maybe you can, uh, maybe you can let our listeners know what, uh, you know, what that approach is. Yeah, well, I think we're, we, and I think Mississauga really is, has a tremendous opportunity, uh, an opportunity that uh, very few cities ever get. Um, and the last time I can think of a city that has, that's had the kind of opportunity we've had would have been in uh, 1875 when four square miles of, uh, of Chicago burned down in a, in a week. And they uh, all of a sudden had to rebuild their city. So they they uh, decided to rebuild the city, and they based it on two principles. One was a human-scale uh, waterfront with public access and great architecture in their downtown core. And that uh, that's really, uh, you know, if any of your listeners have been to Chicago, they know how beautiful it is. That uh, Those are the two uh, premises that Chicago have based their economic and societal prosperity on for the last 120 years. Uh, so Mississauga, because we have these, uh, we had the, you know, we have the lar- very large Imperial Oil site, and then we have, which is 74 acres, and then we have the, the Lakeview site uh, where the generating, the coal generating station was, which basically sterilized five and a half kilometers of shoreline. Those, uh, they came into play. Uh, as well as that, the, our downtown core is densifying uh, at an incredibly rapid rate because the city of Mississauga about 12 years ago took the height restrictions off the downtown city center, which encouraged uh, developers to come in and, and build some 
some pretty nice buildings, like you know, like the Maryland Building, for example, which is a beautiful building. And then in the, at the same time, while that was going on, uh, we were, uh, as a citizen, I was working on getting the coal generating station closed, and we, I led the very first citizen group in North America to create their own master plan. Uh, to do a complete cost analysis of it and have it accepted by all levels of government. It was called the Legacy Project, and we won two national awards for urban planning for it. So those two things happened roughly at the same time, which meant that now we had the opportunity to do basically do exactly what Chicago did. So we now have a registry of uh, different key critical sites within the within the city where if you're going to build anything, you have to have an international architecture competition. It's not a blanket, uh, you know, it's not going to be look like Dubai or something. We didn't want it to look like Disneyland, but we wanted a few key strategic sites and sort of the way they did in Chicago with the Chicago Trib Building. Trib building and a few of the, and the Wrigley building and a few of the other buildings, and then we have some sites on the waterfront for architectural excellence, but um, they don't necessarily have to be forty or fifty stories. So we modeled our waterfront more on places like um, Stockholm, Copenhagen, Hammerby, Malmo, uh, Paris. So it's it's more low low to mid rise. So when you say low to mid rise, for our listeners' sake, um, can you give us kind of a definition of what you see as being kind of the the taller buildings? What they'll be? Um, the, well, on the Lakeview site, for example, it'll be eight thousand units. Eighty five percent of those units will be three to eight stories. And 15% of those units will be 8 to 15 stories, and they'll be based around the, the, new, uh, the new main spine and the, uh, an LRT loop. Okay. So when, when people hear that, and, and I don't know if people quite understand it, is that, you know, we've got buildings that are, you know, approaching 50, 60 stories in Mississauga. Um, you've got, you know, in yeah, Toronto. Yeah, and you've got Toronto sitting at 80. So folks, when, when you listen to um, Councillor Tovey here, you, you have to understand 15 stories is not a very tall building when you start thinking of the grand scheme of things. I mean, uh, you know, I can, I can remember back in the, you know, 70s and 80s that 15 stories in Toronto, uh, sorry, in Mississauga felt like a fairly tall building. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, uh, you know, a lot of builders are a little bit remiss on doing something like that because they don't see it, it being as profitable. How is it that you can attract, let's say, the, the necessary, you know, builders to be able to look at this from a cost perspective and say, this makes sense because, uh, you know, you and I both know watching the la- the development, in especially in the GTA over the last 10 years, it's all about being as tall as we can, make as much profit as we can. But yet, what I, I, I believe what you are doing here in Mississauga is brilliant. I think that it is, you know, architecturally going to be so much more pleasing. But how is it that you can actually get a buy-in from developers who are all about profit in most cases? Um, well, I, yeah, except that I, I don't think I would, you know, respectfully, I don't think I'd necessarily agree with that. Developers are just like people. You know, there are you know, some people are greedy and some people want to do the right thing and some people are happy making uh, less profit and, and doing something that's really, uh, really important right. to society. Uh, and developers are no different. Yeah, no. So there, there are, the, you know, there are developers and, and what we, we had, um, while we were doing all these plans, we had uh, Barry Lyons and Associates do, uh, 
do number crunching for us. And Barry is one of the most, uh, or unfortunately passed away two years ago, but his firm is one of the most respected firms in, in, in Canada as far as crunching real estate numbers. And when we were doing all the plans, we didn't we didn't just want it. We didn't just say, okay, well, uh, and the, the, all of these plans that we've done, they're they're all driven, they're all generated by the citizenry, uh, in collaboration with the businesses, the marina operations, the manufacturing sector, and even some developers. Uh, were were involved in in working on these plans, and then Barry crunched all the numbers because right. it's it's sort of to your point, it's it's pointless to to come up with some kind of a grand scheme for a beautiful human scale waterfront that. Uh, has lots of green space and lots of sun and you know which you don't get from tall buildings and lots of great view corridors to the water and all that sort of things great to do that but if it's not if it if you can't make a profit on it no one's going to build it so we we've had uh, you know we worked with with Barry's group uh, to do the number crunching and he did all the real estate work for uh, for the provincial government for all their uh, smart growth policies so he's incredibly well respected and, and he said yep this is uh, you're fine here you're going to be able to work and the development corporations that I've been speaking with they're they uh, the ones that that I've been speaking with they actually really like it yeah I because think it's, because it's something different it's something sustainable and at the end of the day it's going to be something that that is really going to be a great attraction. I, I believe so, and that's that's one of the reasons why I do. And and more, my question was, you know, it, it's tougher to get some builders to do the buy-in, but when they have the vision that you have here, I think that when they see the overall finished product, it, this will definitely, um, you know, again, I I think that Mississauga is a world-class city by all means, but having a waterfront such as this and what's being proposed, I think will definitely raise the profile of Mississauga even further, and again, put it on that that level playing field with, you know, cities like the Chicago's of the world that have looked at, you know, proper waterfront development. Because that, again, you know, we there's only so much waterfront. And, you know, right now in Toronto, it just seems that every single time I drive in on the Gardner, there's another building sitting in front of a building that once had a waterfront view. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that for for actual buyers and, and people that are owning these properties, it's a little bit discouraging because, you know, at one point they had a waterfront view and they no longer do because somebody put a building right in front of them. Yeah, it's really interesting just to your point. I mean, one of the first things I did when I was elected and first elected in 2010 was I had Port Credit declared a cultural area. So that allowed me to, you know, throw out a lot of uh, very onerous city bylaws that sort of get in the way of business and fun. And we started having more festivals, more public art, more uh, a lot more animation on the street. We started bringing in street uh, street patios and um uh, the, and so we started the the patio program about four years ago. Well, everybody, well, I think I've got seven new restaurants just in Port Credit alone, and everybody had a record year in uh, in 2016, a record summer. And uh, quite often I'd go in, into Port Credit when there wasn't a festival, and it looked like there was a festival. And I'm very curious, so I'd start talking to people, and, and I always ask people the same questions. So I'd say, well, where are you from? How'd you get here? Why are you here? And I started talking to this young couple. I they were about mid thirties, and um, I said, "Where are you from?" And they said, "Oh, we're from Toronto." And I said, "Oh, great, great. Well, you know, that's well. Welcome to Port Credit. How'd you, how'd you get here?" And they said, "Oh, we come out here all the time. We take the go the go train from Union Station, brings us right into downtown Port Credit, and it only takes twenty minutes." And then his wife looked at me and said, "This is our Muskoka." <laughs> and I went, you just made my year. Yeah, there you go. I promise you we're going to keep it like that. Excellent. So, you know, a lot of it is about quality of life. 
Yeah. Excellent. Well, Councillor, um, listen, I greatly appreciate you coming on today. Keep up the good work and the vision. You know what? It's going to be interesting over the next few years to watch it develop. And uh, we'll definitely keep our eye on it. And hopefully we can have you come back and give us a bit of a progress report. Yeah. And if you ever want a tour, come on down. Excellent. Thank you so much, folks. That was Councillor Jim Toby, and he is from Ward 1 in Mississauga. And uh, excellent uh, stuff that's coming up, uh, that new development. It's one of those ones that uh, keep your eye on it. It's a great place uh, once they get everything done I think it's going to be an incredible place to visit and a lot of people are going to want to live there and um, again lots happening in the world of real estate so are you playing landlord and your tenant hasn't paid you well coming up after the break I've got a professional property manager and he's going to be telling us what you should be doing right now in the new year stay with us we'll be right back with Simply Real Estate right after this Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. So my next guest is a professional property manager. And, you know, for those of you that are managing your own rental properties right now or are thinking of it, it's always good to listen to the professionals. And from Cyreg Management, I have Mr. Mike Sackman. Mike, thanks for joining us on the show today. No problem, Todd. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, Mike, here we are. We're beginning of 2017. And, you know, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, very tenant-related, because, you know, I know that, um, you know, you're in charge of hundreds of suites, and a lot of a lot of people may not understand kind of a predicament that they're going to get themselves into always at the beginning of every year. So here you've got your tenants. They've gone through Christmas, probably spent too much money, and come January 1, of course, uh, collecting rent gets a little bit more difficult. Um, can you can you kind of talk us through the process? What should we be looking? What should people be looking at? You know, is there is there uh, is there some fail safes that you can put in place? Well, you're talking about people going through Christmas and spending all their money uh, on their children, and then having no money left over for rent, and then giving you their their particular sob story of. Oh, you know, I had to buy presents for the kids because they can't go without, but I know rent is due on the 1st, but can I pay you on the 15th? That's typically how it goes. Okay, so Mike, yeah, just for our listeners' sake, you know, you sound pretty harsh, and, and I, think that, <laughs> I think that that's a positive thing. I think people have to understand that, you know, being a landlord is not a, a, a popularity contest, is it? No, sir, it's not. It, it, is, it is basically when you sign a contract uh, looking to rent an, an apartment from somebody, whether it's a, an individual who wants to be a landlord or from a company uh, perspective, you are entering into an agreement and you are saying to that person or a company, yes, I'm going to pay you on the first and I'm going to make sure I pay you on the first. And we do everything in our power to make that happen. So, Mike, you know, here's here's the scenario, though. And, and, and this is one of the things that I think that a lot of people may not understand is that as a landlord, you definitely have your rights as well. So let's just suppose and, and you know, maybe maybe it's, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, kids presence or maybe, you know, they, they just, you know, they spent too much money on uh, a spouse, on parties or whatever, or just for some reason, they're short, they can't do it. Um, from the from a landlord's perspective, what is the first step? And let's talk the, the you know from a legal standpoint. What can a landlord do when somebody does not pay them rent? Typically, what happens is um, you know someone will pay you between the first and the third. If they don't pay you by the third, uh, we usually uh, provide them with what's called an N four, 
which they then have two weeks to pay the outstanding balance, which is due on the 1st. And if they read it correctly, it does not mean they are going to be evicted. It merely means that we're giving them an opportunity to pay within that two-week time period, or they're going to be brought to court and then have to explain to the landlord and tenant board why they can't pay their rent. Okay, so an N4, so this is now, again, you know, people can go to the Landlord-Tenant Board's website and be able to download this uh, so they can fill it out properly. Um, what is the best mode for people to deliver this? Is it to, to the tenant in their hand, or what, what is the best way to do it? If, you, if the Landlord and Tenant Board tells you you can do it both ways, you can, you can deliver it by hand or you can deliver it by mail. The best scenario would be to deliver it by mail so you know that the Postal Service uh, gives it to their mailbox as long as you have the proper address and unit number. Um, giving it to them in their hand, you're going to be chasing people, uh, not all the time, but typically you don't want your staff or you personally having to go somewhere to deliver uh, a letter, which they may or not accept from you. So okay. it's better to give it by mail. So what happens then, Mike, at the end of the 14 days? Okay, let's say they still haven't paid you. Let's say, you know, at this point, you know, they're, they're in too deep, they can't, they can't pay you. What's the next step? The next step is that uh, you yourself as a landlord or the company uh, will then uh, go to the landlord and tenant website, uh, proceed to create what's called an L1, which is to bring them into court to then uh, allow them to explain or to make payment arrangements or to either evict them if they're truly uh, that far behind on their rent. And that, that will then either proceed with an order from the landlord and tenant board or you'll go to uh, what's called mediation, and you can sometimes work something out between the landlord and the LTB to provide payment uh, on certain terms. Okay. So now, from a landlord's perspective, as you said, your your N4 is merely to tell them they have up to 14 days to, to pay. If they do pay, does this just become kind of null and void and the piece of paper can just disappear? The, uh, the N4, as long as they pay within that 14-day period, and even if they pay on the 14th day, that N4... Uh, disappears automatically. It stays with the company, so it is on record that they were late in paying, and that proceeds into another conversation uh, down the road if someone becomes a consistent late payer. That is where the landlord can then proceed to provide them with what's called an N8 for consistency of late payment, meaning they don't pay on the 1st. They're typical persons that will pay on the 5th or the 10th, and they're consistently late, and you can then take them to court with that paper to force them into an agreement where they have to pay you for a 12-month period on the first of each month. And if that does not happen, then you can file for an eviction. Okay. So, Mike, you know, taking a look at this, obviously, there's a lot of people out there that, um, you know, they're they're managing themselves. Um, But sometimes they get a little bit lax. And let's say, you know, they listen to the excuses. Is it better, no matter what, to have that N4 uh, out immediately? Or do you give people the benefit of the doubt? And, you know, I know it's a bit of a loaded question. I mean, the natural reaction should be get it to them. But a lot of people sit there and they say, oh, well, I know they're going to be late paying. But does this not put them in the arrears even further because people don't react? Yes, you're absolutely correct. It is, it is best to get that N4 to the tenant as quickly as possible uh, to force them to get into that payment mode so that you don't have any repercussions as well after as a landlord, where if you are taken to court and you're asked the question, why did you not proceed with that? And then you're going to say, well, you know, I gave them the benefit of the doubt, and that is not what you want to do. This is not a party. This is your 
right to collect your rent for providing an apartment. Excellent. Well, listen, Mike, always great to have you on the show as usual. We appreciate it. Um, You know what? So right now what you're saying is, folks, if you haven't collected your rent by now, which, uh, you know, looking at uh, what we are in the month, people should have their N4s out, shouldn't they, Mike? Yes, 100% they should. (laughs) Excellent. Thanks, Mike. Uh, That was uh, Mr. Mike Sackman, a professional property manager from CyReg Management, joining us. And uh, folks, you know, interesting point, though. Um, If you are a landlord and you have not been paid January's rent by now, what have you done about it? And it's always great to uh, to listen to a professional. Uh, you know what? As he said, you know, the sooner the better. It doesn't matter. It just becomes a piece of paper if they pay you. But you can't take the next step unless you've taken the first step. And if you want to find out more on how you don't have to do any of that, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. Uh, when we come back, we've got more. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. Well, again, I just want to thank Jason Mercer for joining us, uh, Director of Market Analysis for TREB. And again, interesting numbers. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on it. And uh, maybe about midway, we'll uh, ask uh, Mr. Mercer to come back and join us and find out if uh, TREB's projections are going to be up to date. But I've got to tell you, my uh, my next guest, uh, you know, uh, definitely a person person that I love to rely on and have a great chat about real estate is Ramana King, and she is senior editor at uh, Money Sense Magazine. And Happy New Year, Ramana. Happy New Year, Todd. So, um, you know, I, I for just so you know, um, we are, uh, this is our new time slot, three o'clock here on Saturdays. We used to, uh, we used to be at four, now we're at three. And um, so for our listeners, um, you know, I, I want them to know that uh, first and foremost, uh, folks, Ramana is definitely a real estate expert. She is a senior editor with Money Sense Magazine. And if you want to get some of her latest articles, go to Money Sense sense.ca. Uh, Ramana, I will always uh, encourage people to read your articles. I, I use them as my cheat sheets sometimes, and I think they're wonderful. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's always great to have you as a guest here on Simply Real Estate. And you and I have so much to talk about, uh, not just about Canadian real estate, Toronto real estate, but definitely Vancouver real estate, which <laughs> has made so many headlines uh, over the last 18 to 24 months, and some good, some bad. And uh, I don't know, what, what, what do you feel like picking on first? Well, I, and I think I think the Vancouver real estate. I think everyone wanted to wait till the end of the year to see how it really played out and whether or not the predictions and the assertions that you know it's starting to turn are actually accurate. And I think it is. I think it is accurate. I think for reasons that we didn't quite anticipate, um, prices are so high that you'd assume people are flocking to the market to try and get rid of their properties to get the most uh, money. But the reality is the tale of both Vancouver and Toronto, actually, the GTN and the greater Vancouver area is lack of supply. And I think that's what we're seeing still in the Vancouver market is just there is not enough to meet demand. Right. And so interestingly enough, though, and and you and I had a lot of these conversations and and, and we'll touch about the foreign buyer tax. But more importantly, you know, the, the, the numbers that are showing that the Vancouver market is down is not necessarily just a price you know, uh, decline. It's more the volume decline. And as you said, inventory is an issue. 
uh, year over year, though the Vancouver and BC market um, still, you know, if you took 2015 as an average to 2016, still some staggering numbers, weren't there? Yeah, I mean, they recorded, I think Metro Vancouver recorded its third highest selling year on record, which was 2016, which was last year, and it's behind only 2015 and 20, 2005. So, you know, in the last decade plus, 2016 is one of the top years for for sales records. So, I mean, yes, we're seeing declines, but really the declines aren't even touching the appreciation that has occurred in the last decade. I think we, I was talking to Gregory Klump of uh, the Canadian Real Estate Association, and he mentioned that even with a 10% decline, you're only getting down to March 2016 sales numbers. So you really haven't gone down all that much. And I think a lot of the, the, the story that real estate agents are seeing in Vancouver area, because people are getting worried, they're seeing declines and they're saying, oh my gosh, you know, I'm losing value in my house. And they're trying to put it in context and saying, you know, yeah, you might be seeing declines, but we've risen so much in the last decade that there really is a lot of movement there. You can still go quite a bit down and still not lose all that much in equity. Well, you know, that's an interesting point. So when you when when you quantify it, if somebody's got a, you know, a house that's sitting at a million dollars, it goes up 20%, so it's 1.2, but then it comes back to 1.1 within the same year, it, they still had a $100,000 increase in, yeah. in equity, you know, a 10% increase. Now, Vancouver numbers were actually higher than that. Uh, you know, at one point they were they were up around thirty two percent. If you remember, you and I were chatting in the spring, and they were just going ballistic. And then now, of course, they've 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 settled down. And even if somebody had a one point two million dollar house that did go up twenty percent, you know, they've still gained two hundred forty thousand dollars, which is still an astronomical number. You know, they said, well, but I've lost a hundred thousand. Yeah, but it wasn't a quantifiable hundred thousand unless you sold the house. And that's the problem with, with our brains and money is that we are more attuned to the losses, even though it's not a real loss. We didn't sell and actually lose that money. But we're more attuned to those losses than actually seeing the gains. You know, if I bought the house for $1 million and it, it you know, rose 20%, but I lost 10%, we're only thinking about that lost 10%. We're not thinking about the fact that it has appreciated and it's appreciated astronomically in the last few years. Uh, I think in 2016, they had one of the strongest years. The losses that we're seeing are, are the second half of 2016. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that there was a foreign virus tax that came in, and there was a slowdown in the market that was in response to international factors. Well, you know, one of the things I, I, I was going to ask you, though, is that, okay, so here we are, we're at the beginning of 2017. Um, you know, right now, inventory is down. And, a lot, you know, some people are showing some concerns. They say right now, foreign buyers make up probably about 3% now of Vancouver transactions. So I think I think the first initial jerk reaction is that it scared a bunch of people off. And now we're only looking, let's say, 3 to 5% all transactions now in Vancouver are from a foreign buyer. So those are the people that are willing to absorb that new foreign buyer tax and still see the value. Now, do you see over the next three to six months of the market still continuing to trend down or do, does it just hit stability? So you won't hear a market increase, but yet you'll just hear a stable number. Where where will your market go? Well, and that's the big question because everyone anticipates, you know, now the foreign buyers are out, you've removed a certain component. Have we reached uh, equilibrium and is it going to go down even further? And I, I think that right now there is equilibrium, it's still a seller's market skewed towards the seller, but it has hit closer to equilibrium only because there's still a lot of pent up demand and not enough supply. So as soon as that equation changes, it could be uh, an increase in mortgage rates, which, you know, knocks 
additional buyers out of the market, reduces the demand even more, and then that'll pull prices down, pulling it closer to a balanced market. We're going. There's still room for movement there, and it, the movement is going to come only because of other factors in the market, whether rates rise, um, whether there's additional incentives. I mean, BC said, you know, we'll we'll do a five percent matching loan, up to five percent of the house price matching loan for first-time buyers. That's an incentive to get into the market. If there are additional incentives, there's going to be increased demand. There could be additional disincentives interest rates go up, mortgage rates go up, that knocks people out of the, the uh, housing market. Or we could see tighter mortgage regulations. We could see the banks have even, you know, more costs associated with writing mortgages. You know, they have right. to actually take a look at defaulted defaulted uh, mortgages and actually bear the brunt of that, bears on that burden. That'll increase their costs, and they'll pass out those costs on to the buyers. And those buyers will, you know, some of them will be knocked out of the market. It'll be too expensive for them to actually buy a home. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know what? Um, I, I I know after our, the next break, I'm going to have you talk more about this BC incentive because mm-hmm. you know I, I want to caution Kathleen Wynn out here not to do it. <laughs> um, but um, you know, when when you talk about a balanced market, um, you know, a lot of people I don't think quite understand what a balanced market means. Can you give us just a quick synopsis of what you would determine as a balanced market? Yeah, a balanced market is when. Demand and supply are fairly equal. Um, and typically, you know, the real estate measures that based on the months of inventory or how, how long it would take to sell current sales inventory based on current market conditions. Typically, if you've got about five to six months worth of inventory, you're in a balanced market. It means demand and supply are fairly equal and you've got, you know, you know bidding wars aren't running prices up. You've got fairly standard 30 days on the market. That's a balanced market. For the most part, the greater Toronto area is not in a balanced market. It's strongly in the seller's market category. So I think the numbers out of uh, TREB, uh, Toronto Real Estate Board, show that they had 36 days of supply in most places in the metro Toronto and the greater Toronto area. That's well entrenched in seller's market. It means that the sellers have the advantage in those markets. Come uh, December, it was uh, there was an, uh, about an 8.6% decline in actual inventory. So <laughs> it was sub 30 days. And so this is why, you know, again, another record number of sales in Toronto uh, for the month of December. Uh, Romana, it has been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. And thanks so much as usual for joining us here. And, uh, you know, thanks for everything. And uh, we'll stay in touch to see what's going on with the markets. Absolutely, Todd. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Folks, that was Romana King, and she's senior editor at uh, Money Sense Magazine. And make sure you go to moneysense.ca to pick up her latest articles. Always great. When we come back after this, I'm going to be joined by Jason Mercer. So stay with me. I'll be right back with Simply Real Estate here on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. If you are just tuning in for the first time here to Simply Real Estate, um, just to give you kind of a quick overview, uh, again, my uh, my background in real estate has been stemming up to 30 years now. And, you know, previously a contractor, um, worked in with uh, Remax as one of the top agents in the world. And, you know, very, very excited about real estate from day one. And now uh, with 
with The Simple Investor, we continue to grow people's uh, generational wealth with investment real estate. And one of the great things uh, that we have the ability of uh, working with people is that watching their futures grow. And, you know, when you take a look at real estate, a lot of people don't realize how important it really is to people's future. And I've always come up with the equation that you either have to own a property or you rent. And the people that rent have to rent from someone. So why not you? Why should they not be your tenant? Why should somebody not be paying off your mortgage? And that's the basic simple investor premise. And if you want to know more, go to thesimpleinvestor.com and find out. Um, You know, we've got a lot planned for 2017. In fact, 2017 will be the greatest investment year for the simple investor. We are, uh, we've already are setting up for our next project. So if you want to own an investment property, uh, go to thesimpleinvestor.com now uh, and put your name on the list so you'll be notified. This new release is coming up at the end of January and we are going to be offering a new Southern Ontario release with one and two bedroom condominium properties already tenanted. And you are going to be the owner and you have nothing to do, but we collect the rent. We do everything for you and it's guaranteed. Now, that project is, as I said, going to be released at the end of January. But if your name is not on the list, you can't find out. And the incredible thing is that these condominiums are going to be coming in around 125 and 135 with positive cash flow. And it's a very exciting development. Uh, we've got lots planned this year. Our new RRSP program is up and running. If you have RRSPs and you want to see an 8% interest return on them, uh, our new program with Community Trust is up and we are giving people details on that as well. But one of the things that I'm really excited about for 2017 17 is the fact that we have our new international corporate head office uh, that we're going to be moving into with a new investor training um, uh, facility there. We, uh, we're going to be starting some new programs and again, you'll hear about them if you want to know more, but our new programs will be for teaching people how to actually run their own investments uh, as well to go out into the marketplace, teach you how to do it. Uh, really, really exciting. As I said, this is something we've been working for years towards and we're going to be realizing it in 2017. The Simple Investor is going to be growing and it's going to be growing exponentially for people that are interested in investment properties. It's very, very exciting. And uh, again, this spring of 2017 is the launch of our new international office. And uh, it's going to be very exciting. And so we've got so much, as I said, the RSP stuff, uh, you know, take a look at your returns uh, for 2016. How would you feel about getting 8% plus a 2% uh, bonus to it? So 10% return on your RSPs in one year secured by cash flowing investment real estate. Yep. That's our program. It's simple. It's called the Simple RSP program. To find out more, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. Anyways, did our market really go up as much as we think? Just before Christmas, I heard that final one, and we need to look put things into perspective. When you see a house list for sale for $6.99, when the next door neighbor actually sold for a million fifty, then it turns around and sells for $1.1, and everybody's screaming that it sold $400,000 over asking, I would call foul. And you know what? I don't want to hear that kind of stuff this year. I think what we need to do is settle down the market ourselves, realize that that house only went 
$50,000 over the next door neighbor, which was a comparable home. And in reality, the market is not going at $400,000 over asking prices. You know, the numbers uh, were out this week were staggering. And, you know, it's nice to see that obviously, you know, we've seen an increase in the Toronto Real Estate Board uh, as far as the number of sales. And, you know what, instead of me talking about it, I'd rather just reach out to Trebs, uh, expert in that, uh, Director of Marketing Analysis, and that's Mr. Jason Mercer. And Jason, welcome to Simply Real Estate. Thanks very much for having me. This week, incredible numbers obviously released by uh, Trebs showing that we've had an increase. Maybe you can give us a bit of a breakdown on what uh, 2016 looked like. The broad strokes, we saw a second consecutive record year for home sales reported through Trebs MLS system. So a shade over 113,000 deals. Um, reported this year, um, and that was up from, from about 101,000 transactions uh, in, in, in 2015. Uh, and so, you know, uh, the average home buyer, I mean, they are taking advantage of, of low borrowing costs, but also uh, we've seen relatively strong local economic conditions as well, where the average income has gone up uh, more than the rate of inflation. And so you certainly see um, households confident in their ability to purchase and pay for a home over the long term. But where there's been a bit of an issue, and, and and this is sort of a continuation from what we saw in, in, in 2015, is that the, the number of homes available for sale has actually trended lower. And so these, these home buyers or would-be home buyers are experiencing a lot of competition. And so the end result has been very strong upward pressure um, in, 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 in pricing, especially on the low-rise side of the market, so singles, semis, and townhomes. When I was looking at the report uh, released by Treb, you know, it showed that year over year, pretty much uh, inventory dropped by 4%. Yeah. Um, in the month of December, it was actually even further. It was down by 8.6%. Right. But yet we, uh, you know, we saw a record uh, number of sales in December as opposed to December 15. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, uh, being in real estate for so many years, one of the things I always have watched out for uh, has always been the cycle of real estate. And, you know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, as, as a realtor, we could always watch the marketplace and we would say, you know, we've got our spring market. So we had this huge surge up and then we'd watch it kind of flatten through the summer, a little bit of that, you know, surge up in the fall and then flatten through, you know, the wintertime. Um, for the last two years, though, if you take a look at the numbers that Treb has reported, there really has been no ease. It's just, you know, year over year, increased number, increased numbers. It, it, it's been uh, very uncharacteristic of what we've seen for the last 15 years. Yeah, I think one of the issues or, or, or sort of the key issue there is that um, in a perfectly functioning market, you would have seen, you know, seller's market conditions that we've seen over the last couple of years. And that would have prompted, um, you know, households to, to list their home for sale, to take advantage of the, the equity gains um, as a result of, uh, of market increases. But the issue is, is that we haven't seen that. And, and, and part of the reason is that, um, you know, we haven't been building as much, you know, low rise housing in the, in the greater Toronto area over the last decade. Yet that's what a lot of households are still uh, pointed at despite the, 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 the higher home prices. And so if you have people that already own a home in an established neighborhood, like consider a scenario where say someone bought their first ground oriented home, say a semi-detached home in a, in an established neighborhood. And they're saying, well, we want a little bit more space. You want to move up uh, in the market, maybe buy a single, but then they're looking around and saying, wow, like we could sell our, our semi really easily, but it's going to be pretty hard to find a single that meets our needs and stay in the same neighborhood. Maybe we ought to renovate instead. And so then you get this sort of vicious circle where even more listings are, 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 
are not really coming off the market, but never getting to the market in the first place. Um, and you see that supply trend even lower. Right. And now when we take a look at prices, because now now we know roughly volume, you know, volume was uh, sure. was tighter this past in 2016. And, and, and we started seeing that in 2015. And hence the reason why I think we saw the multiple offers, because, you know, again, nice homes come on the market, more people are out there looking and people are jumping on it. But when we took a look at the big price surge, um, you know, is it would you just equate it to the fact that we are, you know, short in supply? Or is it the fact that, you know, um, you know, a lot of times, and, and we've had this discussion with a, a lot of different people uh, here at Simply Real Estate, but, you know, Toronto and, and the greater Toronto area is actually becoming more of a world-class market to a certain point where, you know, our values can be substantiated in some ways, because if you compare us to places like uh, New York, San Francisco, Boston, uh, Tokyo, I mean, we are still undervalued in comparison to some of those world markets. Right. I mean, if and you look at the uh, the city of Toronto and the surrounding regions, and 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 I mean, uh, in terms of, of of population growth and the number of households that we see, um, you know, from 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 year to year on net. That's all based on immigration, on, on people moving to Canada from, from, from other parts of the world. And so certainly because that's sort of been the nature of the population growth in the greater Toronto area, it's been a, a virtuous circle, if you will, because you, you have these sort of established ethnic and, 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 and social networks that have built up in, in, in the city and surrounding regions, and that serves to attract more newcomers from around the world. So I think it's true um, that the, uh, the, 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 the greater Toronto area certainly has a, a, has a good reputation um, around the world, say, as a place to do business, as a place to live. And, and obviously, then that benefits the housing market as people move here and, and look to purchase a home. So if we're looking at a general forecast for 2017, um, you know, not to put you on the spot, but, you know, Treb, Treb's been very accurate. Um, you know, they pretty much, you know, nailed 2016 out of the gate in, in the very beginning. What do you... Uh, what do you forecast 2017 to look like? I mean, you know, we think that perhaps sales volume will come down again, but um, are we going to see sustained prices or are we going to see things stabilize? So we'll be releasing our official uh, uh, forecast on, on January 31st, our, our sort of second um, annual year in review and, and outlook report. But certainly, I mean, even if we saw, you know, some of the, the changes to mortgage lending guidelines sort of feed through and, and we saw some households, say, either move to the sidelines or change the type or location of the home they're looking to, to purchase, even if we saw, you know, fewer sales in 2017 as, composed, as compared to 2016, those buyers would still be up against, you know, an extremely short supply of listings. Like, for example, at the end of December, that was the, the lowest number of active listings at the end of December that we've seen in a, in a decade and a half. And so you're, you're still going to see very tight market conditions. And I'd argue that in some segments of the market, in some communities in the, in, in the GTA, you could continue to see, you know, very strong rates of price growth, especially, again, for those, those low-rise home types. But I guess the final thing I'll say, too, is, is, is don't forget about the condo market as well, because we still do see a lot of first-time buyers active in the, in the market today. And, you know, a couple of years ago, there was concerns that there, there'd be too much supply in the condominium apartment market. But today, when you look at it, we've actually seen accelerating price growth throughout uh, 2016. And so I think that first-time buyer activity will certainly bode well for, for condo sales as we move through this year as well. Excellent. Well, listen, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time today and talking with us. We greatly appreciate your insight and, uh, you know, keep up the great work at Treb. 
You're very welcome. Talk soon. Excellent. Thank you so much. Folks, that was Jason Mercer. He's Director of Marketing Analysis for the Toronto Real Estate Board. And um, you know what? We'll see. 2017 is just off to a start, and we'll see what will happen. So remember, next week, we stay in our new time slot at 3 p.m. So if you want to tune in to Simply Real Estate, 3 p.m. now, every single Saturday. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. Thanks to my producer, Ian Grant. This has been Simply Real Estate for this Saturday, and we'll talk to you next week.